Guten Morgen, everyone. Let me introduce myself. In fact, let me uh, have you guess. Uh, I'm the one who 500 years ago this Tuesday, on October 17, 1517, nailed the 95 theses on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg. Who am I? Martin Luther. That's right. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning, and I know that your pastor has been speaking about the Reformation that was sparked by that posting the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to share firsthand with you some of the things that I've observed. First of all, he was right when he said that we all reformers didn't want to leave the church. We simply wanted to reform the abuses that were in the church at that time, and there were many. The indulgences is what finally pushed me over the edge. But uh, we were priests and uh, wanted to reform the church, but they wouldn't allow it. And uh, they, they harassed us, they excommunicated us, they executed some of my brothers and sisters. It was a terrible time, but God used it as we took a stand for what we knew to be the truth. Because you see, uh, the truth always surfaces when you stand on it, and God's word is the foundation of our truth. And so what has happened uh, in the years since has been quite amazing. There have been many denominations that flowed from that Reformation movement, and they've called many of these flows, these streams that have come, Protestants, because we were protesting against those abuses within the church. But amongst all the divisions and, and denominations that have come, it's really interesting that today... Bible-believing evangelical churches are often closer uh, in some ways to the Catholic Church doctrine than to some of the mainline Protestant churches that have flowed out of that, although there are still many important distinctions between Bible-believing churches and the Catholic Church. Uh, we yet believe in one God, in Jesus Christ, and in salvation through the crucifixion and His resurrection. Well, many... Mainline churches have actually denied those bedrock truths that come out of Scripture. But back to my main point this morning, and that is I wanted to talk about a phrase that came out of the Reformation that is echoed down through these five centuries that in some ways really crystallizes what came out of that Reformation. And it's a phrase that many of you have heard before, the priesthood of all believers, the priesthood of all believers. You see, in my day, uh, there was a class of priests, and uh, then there were the common people, the secular people, and the sacred priests. It was a hierarchy. We were the ones that had access to Scripture. Although, before my day, we often gave ourselves more to the classics than to the Scriptures. But we had, finally, access to Scriptures. We were the ones that could talk to God on behalf of people or to people on behalf of God. We were the ones that would receive confessions from the people and grant forgiveness or assign penance and tell people uh, prayers that they could recite or acts of kindness or deeds that they could perform to help absolve their sin. We were the ones that occupied that lofty position but as we began to study the scriptures, we realized that wasn't God's intent. 
that under this new covenant, there wouldn't be two classes, there would be one class of people. There would be people who needed God, sinful people, but in Christ made holy and righteous. And not only that, but declared priests. That everyone in the faith would be a believer priest, the priesthood of all believers. Now, if you're a follower of Christ and you didn't know that, welcome to the ministry. Welcome to the priesthood, because that's what the New Testament says that you are. Now, I wanted to set forth before you this morning four theses, four propositions. Um, I could have nailed them to the church door back here, but I thought I might break the glass. So we put them in the bulletin instead, okay? And uh, here's the first one. Bridging the gap between sinners and a holy God... Priests are set apart to approach God as the people's representative and to approach people as God's representative. Now, in the beginning, when God created man, male and female, he created them in Adam and Eve, they had intimacy with God. They could just talk to him. They, they, they had a wonderful relationship with him, and that was God's heart and his desire, and he created people for that purpose and reason. But as you know, when they fell into sin, uh, there became a huge gap and distance between sinful men and a holy God. And they needed an intermediary. They needed a go-between. And so God sent priests. And uh, we see even in Genesis that Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, he offered uh, gifts unto him, a tithe unto Melchizedek. And then down through the patriarchal lines, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, uh, in each family they would have priests, and there became uh, priests in the families representing those families. We get down to the days of Moses, when he, called to be the deliverer of Israel, led them up out of slavery from Egypt to Mount Sinai, there he received the law. And there weren't just ten commandments. If you look in your scriptures, there were about 613 commands. And many of those specified uh, how the priesthood would be set up and how the sacrificial system would work. And they would offer up animal sacrifices. And that went on for a long time. And in fact, Moses' brother Aaron was the priest in Israel. And then his sons became the priests. But he was of the tribe of Levi. So the whole tribe was set aside or ordained uh, as holy for the priesthood. And they would carry out the labor of the sacrificial system in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. And then when they went into the temple and built it in Jerusalem, they would do that there. So under the Old Covenant... Priests offered animal sacrifices and taught the people about God's law. And so now you understand that that's just the way it was for 1,500 years until the time of Christ. But then Jesus comes on the scene and uh, he lives a sinless life uh, and then offers himself as a sacrifice. Scripture tells us that he offered himself as a sacrifice the Lamb of God that all those animal sacrifices pointed to. He was the one who could ultimately and finally take away all sin. And so we see that under the new covenant, 
Christ followers are called a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Peter lays this out in his letter. In fact, uh, he begins his letter by talking about what it means to have faith in Christ. What Christ has done for us, and then if we believe that, we are born again spiritually into a living hope, and now we're to live for the Lord. And then in chapter 2 he says this, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice several things. In the Old Covenant, they had a temple. They built it on Temple Mount. It was made of stones. In the New Covenant, since that went into effect with the death of Christ, there's a temple as well, but it's built with living stones, people. When we come together, when the Holy Spirit places us in every local church, you have a temple that is built for God to house a holy priesthood who will offer spiritual sacrifices to God, not animal sacrifices as they did in the Old Testament. You see, uh, we're not putting animals on altars, as you see in this next slide, that would go up in flames. We're offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, what do those look like? Well, let me show you a couple of examples from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in the letter to the church in Rome spells out what Christ has done for us. How we were so far from him and yet God acted in love and grace and extended us mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then he says there in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, he says, I urge you therefore brothers in view of God's mercy to present or offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So we offer a spiritual sacrifice when we offer our bodies, ourselves, so that we now live for the Lord, no longer for ourselves. He will set our agenda. He will lead us. He will be the one that we are serving with our lives, no longer self-centered and self-serving as we've lived our whole lives before that. Some of the ways we do that are serving those around us within the church and outside of the church. We pray for one another. We pray for our friends and loved ones as exhibited by these cards. We pray that they will come to Christ and, and that's a spiritual sacrifice. We could be doing something else. But he says, no, offer yourselves in this way as a spiritual sacrifice. In fact, in the uh, early church, about the third century, there was a man by the name of Tertullian. He said this about prayer. He called it the spiritual sacrifice of prayer. Its only art is to call back the souls of the dead from the very journey into death, to give the strength to the weak, to heal the sick, to exorcise the possessed, to open prison cells, to free the innocent from their chains. Prayer cleanses from sin, drives away temptations, stamps out persecutions, comforts the faint-hearted, gives new strength to the courageous, brings travelers safely home, calms the waves, confounds robbers, feeds the poor, overrules the rich, lifts up the fallen, supports those who are falling, and sustains those who stand firm. Prayer is a spiritual sacrifice that we make on behalf of one another in the body of Christ and beyond. There's another. 
And it was set forth by the writer of the Hebrew letter when he said, Through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. When we sing in worship, when we sing through the week, when we talk about the Lord uh, to others, about who he is and what he's done in our lives and what he wants to do, we are giving a sacrifice of praise to him, and he so richly deserves it. He deserves our time, everything about us. He bought and paid for us with the precious blood of his son Jesus, the sacrifice. There was a couple that was in our church for many years, David and Rita Zuccolato, wonderful people, kindest, most generous people you'd ever want to meet. They moved to California a few years ago. Well, David was in the insurance business, still is, uh, and he loved to play golf. And uh, he not only golfed, but he golfed strategically as a believer, priest. For instance, uh, he would invite associates to play golf with him, and then he would even invite your pastor to play with him. And he would say, now, Pastor Ron, we need to pray for these guys, and we need to uh, talk to them about the Lord, and, you know, we'll see them come to Christ. And, okay, okay, Dave, uh, your pastor would tell him. And one of those persons was a guy by the name of Derek LeBenz. Now, when your pastor first met Derek, hmm, well, I won't go into that, but... Uh, <laughs> He was a great guy from the beginning, but he wasn't real close to the Lord. And uh, I'm going to let Derek tell you his own story, in fact, because he's here. He's made the sacrifice to be here this morning and to share his story with you. So I'm going to ask Derek to come and just tell you about uh, that uh, pilgrimage. And uh, I'm going to have to be going back to the, uh, the church in Wittenberg, but uh, <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. Hey. Nice to meet you, Derek. Nice to meet you. Okay. Alveder Zane. Uh, I met Dave a few years ago before Ron, and he used to invite me to golf every Thursday with his associate. And about two, three years went by, and, uh, and no business was coming in. And so his associate says, you know, Derek doesn't give us any business with, with his brokers. You know, why do we keep inviting him to golf all the time? And the story that I got later on, Dave would say, well, you know, you just have to be patient about these things, and good things will come down the road. And sure enough, there was a nice meeting that we had that his organization put together. And I went up to him, and I said, you know, Dave, I think we can run with this with the people I have. And we did. We wrote about 40 cases in two months. And the rest is history as far as it's concerned. Then, uh, through golfing, one day I see Reverend Ron comes by, and I said, oh, Reverend Ron. He tells me he, he's a biker. He's a golfer. I said, oh, he's my kind of guy. But, you know, Ron, as professional as he is, he, uh, he never brought up faith. He never asked me anything about where I was with Christ. And I never asked him. I never volunteered. Uh, I grew up as a Catholic all my life. Went to a Catholic school. Uh, went to church Easter Sunday, Christmas. <laughs> so, so, you know, I did all the wrong things in that respect. But Ron and I were golfing together almost four years with uh, Dave. And then last year, uh, Dave had to go back to the mainland. The, the children wanted him back there. So this was in March and just before Easter Sunday here. And uh, as, as we were playing our last round of golf, we came to the parking lot. And Ron comes up to me and hands me the invitation for the Easter services. And I looked at it. I had it about a week and a half before. Boy, something. 
sometimes things get hard. But, um, about three, four days before Easter Sunday, I made a commitment that I was going to come and visit Ron. And I sat in the very last row there so nobody would know who I was. And I was just like Reverend Cal when he says, you know, stand up. Anybody new here? Nope, I didn't stand up. I didn't raise my hand. No, no way. But that was my first time at Kaimiki Christian. And I've never missed a service since that time at Kaimiki Christian. But I want to tell you that uh, the next morning I get a call from Ron. And he says, Derek, what are you doing this morning? He says, I'm working, going to work. He said, you got time for breakfast. And this was 8.30 in the morning. He, I, I said, yeah, when do you want to have it? He said, no, today. How about this morning? Let's have breakfast this morning at Big City Diner. I'll never forget. I even tell you what seat we're sitting on there. And the first words out of his mouth were, Derek, where, where are you spiritually? And I said, Ron, I really don't know. But I'm willing to find out. And uh, that started my relationship with Ron. And I got to give Dave Zuccolato all the credit in the world because without him knowing it, he was putting together a relationship. You know, and I was reading the book, uh, and I'm halfway through Walk Across the Room. There's so many parallels between what that book has and what my steps were with Ron and Dave Zuccolato. But, you know, when you walk across that room, it's, it's, it's not a quick step and we're going to get it done. It's, it's a purposeful thing and it takes time. It's, it's a process that you have to go through. It took us four years to get that invitation to come to church. That's a little long time, but it was much quicker than the 45 years he had with his friend, right? So, so we're kind of ahead of the game in that respect. But you know, like uh, the Apostle Paul said uh, when he preached and to all the new cities that he went to, said that we must find common ground first before we preach the gospel and bring Christ to the Lord, bring people to Christ. Because you need to have uh, something to step. Ron and I, it was golf. It was football. It was getting together. And then when it came to Christ, it was a real, real easy step. And uh, that was Easter Sunday last year. May of last year, I was baptized in the ocean. Loved it. It was great. Then I went to the up to bat class. And right after that, I went to the uh, base path. And I see a few of my base bat members here who went, we went through those uh, 12 weeks together, I believe it was, Richard? About 12 weeks, I think. But um, I just want to share, Ron wanted me to share this story with you to show you that um, it does work. I never thought it would work with me. I wasn't looking for it to work with me. But uh, God has his ways, and I'm so lucky that uh, Ron brought me to Jesus and you know, the rest is history, and I just hope to do even better things down the road. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Derek. <laughs> Derek actually made that way too much about Ron because uh, Dave was the one that planted those seeds and sowed and built that relationship. But uh, wow, Derek, what a blessing it's been. It was actually a year ago, March, when you came to eat that first Easter Sunday. And uh, one of the things that I found interesting is uh, Derek told me after he came to Christ that uh, Dave said to him uh, when he invited him to golf the next time, he said, now, now, Derek, we need to pray for Neil. And uh, Derek said, oh, I get it. 
That's right. I need to walk across the course to see him. Actually, all I had to do was walk across the parking lot and hand him that Easter invitation after David had been building that too. Well, I wanted to share a little bit more with you. Let me turn this one off and uh, share maybe one more thing with you before we close here today. And that is... Uh, not only are we a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, but under the new covenant, uh, Christ followers are a royal priesthood, declaring the good news of God's grace, undeserved kindness, unmerited favor. Here's what Peter says in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to walk across the room, as scary as that is, to tell someone about Jesus? Listen to verse 10. Peter says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, uh, people take pride, understandably, in their own people group, their ethnicity, their tribe, their clan. Israel took pride in being the people of God. I mean, today there's a lot of emphasis on ancestry research, um, checking out uh, uh, your ancestors and, and looking into that, even uh, having your DNA analyzed to see who is it up my line that may be famous. You know, we, we, we look at those things and we try to ignore the rogues and charlatans up there and uh, look for somebody famous because that would make us proud. But folks, think about it. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son or daughter of God. It doesn't get any better than that. Talk about healthy pride to know that we belong to him. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God sons and daughters of his. That is motivation, folks, to just walk across the room. As we've received mercy and forgiveness for our sins, don't others deserve that same opportunity to know the Savior? And so what I want to do is just share a couple stories with you uh, before I close uh, of times that I've actually walked across the room. One of them was a few weeks ago when Dee and I were back in Nebraska. I had, uh, as a freshman in high school, gotten a job in the garage in our small town, working as a mechanic with Gail. And Gail was a great guy, one of those cool guys. And, and he taught me so much about working on cars. He, he introduced me to motorcycles. He introduced me to racing. We pretty soon, both of us were driving race cars before I got out of high school. And uh, he introduced me to a lot of things. And, and uh, I grew to love him so much and his wife, Myra. But then left for college, married Dee, and we left the state. And uh, once in a while over the decades, I'd run into Gail and just talk to him briefly. But he's been on my heart continually through these years. And uh, so when we were back in Nebraska, God just, I think, prompting me. And uh, I, I, I'd heard that he was in the early stages of dementia. And so I phoned and spoke to his wife, and I said, Gail, can I come see you folks? Sure. Um, and so I drove the 11 miles out to my old hometown, and uh, he didn't recognize me at first. 
But when we started talking, he connected, and he was in the moment. We started talking about old times and everything. And uh, then during the conversation, he said, so tell me about what's been happening with you ever since. Wow, what an opportunity. So I began to share with Gail and Myra my story and my faith story and how I'd come to know the grace of God and uh, how I had wanted to share with them and have, had felt led by the Lord to share with them. And so I was able to share the gospel with them and talk to them about Jesus. And in the course of that conversation, I asked them a couple of questions that I often ask people. And that is, uh, I said, Gail and Myra, if you were to die tonight and go to the gates of heaven, are you sure that God would let you in? They said, well, we hope so. Typical answer. And then I said, okay, and if you were to die and go to the gates of heaven, and God were to say to you, Gail, Myra, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Gail said, well, I'd say, well, you better. <laughs> I just laughed. I told Gail, I said, you know, I've asked that question hundreds of times. I've never had anybody answer that one. <laughs> so we talked about that, and then he talked about, you know, he wasn't all that bad. And I said, the thing is, we all need a Savior. And we talked about the gospel, and they acknowledged their faith. And are they fully there yet? I don't know, you know, but I left them Billy Graham's tract and steps to peace with God, and, and I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue that conversation. I told them, let's continue to talk about this. But that was an 11-mile drive. Not too bad. I apologized to them for taking 45 years to get back to them with this good news since I'd found the Savior. You know, I... I belong to the Kaimaki Business and Professional Association just to make acquaintances in the community. And I've shared in different ways with many of them. And uh, one of them was recently, we were having a t-shirt sale. And uh, I said to a community leader that I've known for some years, I said, so where are you at in your spiritual pilgrimage? He said, about three, three blocks from the church. Okay. <laughs> and it became apparent. He didn't want to talk about it much more at that point, but, you know, it'll be an ongoing conversation, I believe, with me or with someone else. It's not all up to us. We do what we are called to do in that moment. But when Bill writes that book, he says, when you step into that conversation, you're stepping into the zone of the unknown. You don't know how that person's going to respond. But you can believe that God cares about that person and that people have been praying for that person and that we have a part to play in that. One more thing happened, I'll just mention. It happened on Friday morning. Uh, I needed to go down to City Mill to set up a, a, a shirt sale for this coming Saturday. And so I wanted to see the manager. And so I talked to a young man as an employee down there. And uh, he, was, he called the manager on his intercom. And um, then he said, now, are you in a hurry? After a little while, the manager hadn't come, because I can call him again. I said, no, no, I don't want to bug him, you know. And uh, I said, well, I mean, I'm in a little bit of a hurry. Actually, I'm the pastor at Kamaki Christian, and I'm working on my sermon this morning. And he said, oh, what are you going to tell him? <laughs> don't ever ask a pastor that, you know. <laughs> I said, well, since you asked... I'm going to talk to him about the priesthood of all believers, that every follower of Jesus Christ 
according to the Bible, is a priest of God. And she's like, really? I said, that's right. In fact, I said, you know, October 31st is the, is the celebration of 500 years since the Reformation when, when reformers came out of the Catholic Church, and those were priests that led that Reformation. He said, really? He, was, he didn't know that. I said, oh, yeah. And I said, they didn't want to reform the, they didn't want to go out of the church. They wanted to reform it because they found the truth of Scripture. You know, I began to talk to him about that. And pretty soon, here comes the manager, and I'll call this guy Kimo. I said, Kimo, we'll continue this conversation sometime. We didn't make it there, but I don't know that I was supposed to make it there. Those are seeds that we plant. And you know what? I don't always do that. Sometimes I just miss it. Sometimes on my own agenda. And I just miss those opportunities. But folks, You think, well, sure, you can do that because you're a pastor. You folks are priests, right? And so every one of us has a sacred vocation and calling from the Lord. There's only one class of people. That's sinners who've been saved by grace and are now priests, royal priests, with the opportunity to tell people about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And God will give each of us unique opportunities if we'll pray for lost people, if we'll look for opportunities and lift him up in the process. So I want to just close by challenging you to, if you've not already, pick up that book, just walk across the room and start reading. Start reading now for two reasons. Those chapters are kind of lengthy and we're going to ask you to read two to three chapters every week and you can get ahead of the game. But also for this reason, those those chapters are powerful. They're life-changing. As you hear what Bill Hybels has to say, it's liberating. It's not sharing out of guilt or obligation, but you'll find a, a freedom in walking across the room as you read those chapters. Secondly, really urge you to get into an Ohana group. If you're not in one, we have several that are open. You can talk with them on the lanai about where you'd fit into an Ohana group because you want to go through this four weeks with other people who are scared to walk into the zone of the unknown or don't, a little uneasy about it. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. And we put into uh, place some projects through those four weeks. Come these next four weekends. Listen to the messages. They'll be given by different people. And uh, focus in on different angles. And let's make these four weeks count. I believe with all my heart, God's going to move in our midst. He'll change us in the process. We'll see... Post-it notes go up over there of conversations that we have, invitations that we've given, or people coming to Christ and getting saved through these coming weeks and months. You can still fill out more of those lost sheep cards, by the way. We'll add more green cards. But let's see what God will do in these coming weeks and months. There's a move of God to reach out because he said his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And that's his mission for the church and for the priests who are followers of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful that you've come, that you've given yourself as a sacrifice for our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might have your presence in our lives, and that we might have the purpose of talking to you about people and talking to people about you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.